Our scripture reading is from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. This is Jesus speaking, promising the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask my Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world sees me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Good morning, everyone. Uh, glad to be with you today. My name is Jesse, and uh, I'm the, the worship arts pastor here, but I'm really excited to be able to, to study God's Word with you today. And uh, before I start, I want to say something specifically to the kids, and count yourself in this if you're a grown-up but you're young at heart. So if you are a young person, uh, I'm going to tell a story, not quite yet, but in a few minutes, and I would love if you drew a picture of what you think this story might have looked like. Or uh, maybe if drawing is not your thing, maybe you've got little Lego figures and you could set up a Lego scene of what this story might have looked like. Uh, so once you do it, you could ask your parents to take a picture and email the picture to me, and maybe next week I'll put those pictures into the, the pictures that play before the service starts. So if it's okay with your parents, kids, you can run and get your drawing supplies and then hurry back so you don't miss the story, okay? If your parents say to just wait, then you can draw the story after we're done, and that's fine too. All right, so we're about halfway between Easter and Pentecost right now. And uh, Russell and I were talking about what kind of things we could be 
teaching during this time, and, and we thought it would be good to continue with the stories of what happened after Jesus was raised. And so today I'm going to be telling the story of what happened to the apostle Peter after Jesus was raised. And there's a few stories involving Peter after the resurrection, and so I'm going to be telling one of those stories. Uh, I don't know about you, maybe you have a favorite disciple of Jesus, maybe you don't, but if I had to pick a favorite, I'd probably pick Peter. And the reason is, uh, Peter seems to say whatever comes into his mind. So if you're reading the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, something will happen and it's you know some kind of strange event or something, and Peter always speaks up and says, what about this? He asks the questions that I find I'm always thinking. Sometimes they're stupid questions that he asks maybe, but I find it helpful as a reader to have Peter ask these questions and then Jesus gets to answer them. Peter's not afraid of saying the wrong thing. Uh, sometimes maybe he speaks a little bit impulsively. Sometimes he does say the wrong thing and Jesus corrects him. I, uh, I wonder if you've ever found yourself uh, maybe having trouble sleeping and it's three in the morning you're awake in bed and you're tired and you want to fall asleep, but you can't. And suddenly you remember some dumb thing you said maybe years ago. And you think, why did I say that? And you replay that moment in your mind and you, you wish you had said something different or said something, not, something uh, else or said nothing at all. And uh, you just replay that. If, if only I had a chance to go back to that conversation, here's what I would have said, right? I wonder if Peter ever had those moments, because sometimes he says these things that he might have laid awake later on and thought, I wish I had said something different right there. Uh, one example, in Mark chapter 9, there's this story of the transfiguration. So Jesus takes some of the disciples, including Peter, up on a mountain, and they get to see Jesus revealed in all of his glory, and Moses is there, and Elijah, and there's this cloud, and a voice, and it's like this awe-inspiring holy moment. And Peter's response is, this is great that we're all here. Let's build three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And Mark writes in his gospel, Peter said this because he didn't know what else to say. And I wonder if later on Peter thought about that and said, oh, that was a very special holy moment. Maybe I should have just said nothing at all. But he, he speaks up. He, he says what's on his mind. Another one, uh, Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, soon I am going to be arrested, handed over to the Romans. I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter is really disturbed by this because he loves Jesus. And he says, never, Lord, I will never let that happen. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You are only thinking of human concerns rather than the things of God. And that must have stung for Peter to hear that. I wonder if later on he replayed that moment again and again and thought, I should have said nothing or I should have said something different. I wish I hadn't said that, that thing. The biggest moment of all, though, like this in Peter's life, has to be on the night Jesus was betrayed. So in John's Gospel, John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to a place they cannot follow. Where he's going, they cannot follow. And Peter says, Lord, you know I'll follow you anywhere. I would even die for you. And Jesus says to Peter, would you really? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will disown me three times. And Peter couldn't imagine that. But later that night, after Jesus had been arrested and he's being interrogated in the home of the high priest, Peter is standing outside 
next to a charcoal fire and someone asks him, hey, I think I know who you are. Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he says, no, I'm not. And a few minutes later, there's more people standing around that same charcoal fire and someone else says, I think maybe you're one of his disciples. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And finally, someone who was there in the garden when Jesus was arrested says, no, I'm sure I saw you there. You are one of his disciples. And Peter says again, I am not. And right when he says that, a rooster crows, just as Jesus had predicted. All four of the Gospels record this scene, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's pretty clear that everybody heard Peter deny Jesus these three times. I got to imagine that after that, Peter laid awake some nights and wished he had said something different, wished that he hadn't denied his Lord so quickly, wished that he had said nothing or had some other kind of response. But there he was. He had done it. Everybody had seen him do it. And uh, so I got to imagine in these scenes after Jesus had been raised and he's appearing to the disciples, Peter was obviously delighted to see Jesus again. He was so happy that he was alive. But I think there might have also been a part of Peter that was ashamed because he knew that Jesus knew what he had done. Jesus knew that Peter had denied him three times, just as he predicted. And so I wonder if Peter saw Jesus and felt a little, a little sting of shame over what he had done. I don't really know. At one point, Peter kind of seemed like the star pupil in Jesus' group of disciples, right? Uh, think about when Jesus called Peter to follow him in Luke chapter 5. He does it with this miracle. Peter's been out all night fishing. He catches no fish. And uh, Jesus tells Peter to drop his nets into the water one more time. And suddenly the nets have so much fish that the boats start to sink. And then Jesus tells Peter, follow me and you will fish for people instead. That's a, that's a pretty dramatic story of being called. And, and also, Peter, uh, Peter has this interesting thing with Jesus where Jesus actually changes his name because he had been called Simon, right? And Jesus calls him Peter instead, and that Peter means rock. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a thing to have Jesus say about you. But now, Peter, or maybe we should say Simon, has denied Jesus three times, and he's kind of fallen from his place, right? He's screwed up and everybody knows about it. So that's the background for the story that I'm going to tell. And this story comes from John 21. So kids, if you've got your drawing supplies now, I'm going to tell the story that I'm hoping you can, you can draw what this might have looked like to you. So after Jesus had been raised from the dead, uh, multiple times he appears to the disciples and teaches them things and has meals with them and all of this. And so John says this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And so a few days after Jesus had been raised, the disciples are kind of hanging around. They're not sure what to do. Certainly Peter isn't sure what to do. And he tells everybody, you know what? I'm going to go out fishing. It was his old job. He was a fisherman. He's going to go back and do that. And I'm not sure if it was that he was bored or if he thought, well, I, I better go back to my old job and start making some money again. Not sure what I've been doing these past couple or three years, but, but now I'm going to go back and be a fisherman. At any rate, when Peter says this, 
The other disciples say they're going to go with them. So all of them, they pile into some old wooden boats and they go out to go fishing. And in those days, you went fishing at night. Um, so they go out in the evening and they stay out all night and they cast their nets into the water and they pull them up and they're empty. And they cast them out again and they pull them up and they're empty. And they keep doing this. And, and after several hours, the horizon started to get a little bit lighter. It turned from black to deep blue and then indigo and turned fuchsia. And then the edge of the sun came over the horizon and they looked at each other and realized they had spent the whole night and caught nothing. Caught nothing in their whole night of fishing. And they look back at, in the sunrise at the shore and in the golden light and the long shadows of dawn, they see somebody standing on the beach, a stranger standing on the beach and he calls out to them, hey, do you have any fish? And they call back, no, we've been out here all night and we've got nothing. And the stranger calls out again, why don't you try casting your net on the right side of the boat? And maybe then you'll find some fish. And that's a strange thing to say. It doesn't really matter, I would think, what side of the boat your net goes on. But at this point, they're ready to try anything one last time throwing the net in and see if they catch something. So they cast their net, their net over the right side of the boat. And suddenly, the nets are so full of fish that they couldn't even pull them back into the boat. John says afterward they counted and there were 153 large fish in their nets. Now you remember, this is almost exactly the same as what happened when, Peter, or when Jesus first called Peter in uh, Luke chapter five. In that story, Peter had been out fishing all night and caught nothing and Jesus said, put your net in one more time and suddenly he had more fish than he could handle. And that's when Jesus called Peter to follow him and become a fisher of men and all of this. And this is like the same kind of thing happening. So when this stranger on the shore calls out, cast your nets on the other side of the boat, and suddenly they catch all these, boat, all these fish, the disciples knew exactly who it was that was calling out to them. And John says, it is the Lord. And Peter is so happy to see Jesus. He grabs his clothes, jumps into the water, and swims all the way to the shore to meet Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus is there, and he has a charcoal fire, and he has some bread and some fish. And Jesus asks the disciples to have breakfast with them, and he gives them some bread and some fish, and they sit there on the beach and eat together. Now, you can see what's happening here, right? It's, it's like Jesus is repeating the events of the day on which he called Peter, and notice that Jesus is the host here. He initiates everything about this scenario himself. He's the one who calls out from the shore. He's the one who makes the fire. He's the one who invites the disciples to eat with him. He's the one who provides the bread and the fish. All that's left for Peter and, and for the other disciples to do is to accept the invitation to respond to what Jesus has done. So after breakfast, Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And so this is from John 21, I'm reading starting at verse 15. Jesus asked, asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And a second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And Jesus asked for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So what's happening here? Why does Jesus ask Peter this question three times in a row? One thing that becomes really clear when you're reading John's gospel is that John is very efficient. He uses only the words he means to use and doesn't use much extra. He's very selective about what details he gives because he wants to say specific things about Jesus. John isn't just writing down everything he can remember about his time with Jesus. In fact, in John 20, he says that Jesus did many things which are not written down in this book, but these things are written that you might know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John tells the stories he tells and includes the details he does because he wants you to understand very specifically who Jesus is and what he came to do. So the details in this story matter. Here we have a story where Jesus is sitting beside a charcoal fire and asks Peter the same question three times in a row. And as readers, we remember that in John 18, Peter stood next to a different charcoal fire and three times denied knowing Jesus, answered the same question three times, and each time he denied knowing Jesus. And so these three questions here in John 21 are meant to be parallel to Peter's denying Jesus. And Peter knows exactly that this is what Jesus is doing. In verse 17, he says he's grieved that Jesus is asking him this question a third time. But Jesus isn't trying to rub salt in the wound. He's not interested at all in humiliating Peter for having denied him. Jesus asks Peter this question three times in front of all the other disciples to give Peter three chances to redeem himself for his three earlier failures. One of the things we have to notice right off the bat about Jesus in this story is how merciful he is towards Peter. Even though Peter has let Jesus down in a big way, Jesus forgives him. He gives him another chance. Actually, he gives him three more chances. And we already know this about Jesus, of course, right? Jesus is full of mercy toward all of us. We know that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And one of the things that stands out to me in this story is that Jesus didn't wait for Peter to come to him. Jesus came to Peter. He calls out to him from the shore. He sets the table and invites Peter to eat with him. And we believe that Jesus calls out to each of us today. He offers forgiveness and the chance to be restored. But that's not the end of this story. This is not only a story about Jesus making Peter feel better about some mistake he made in the past. Jesus calls Peter to forgiveness and restoration so that Peter can return to what he was made to do, to who he was made to be. In verse 18, Peter can, or Jesus continues talking to Peter, saying this, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you 
and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Jesus is talking here about Peter's death. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he considered himself unworthy to die in exactly the same manner as Jesus. I think sometimes in our culture today, we find it pretty easy to talk about Jesus being forgiving and the kindness of Jesus and the idea that Jesus is concerned with taking away shame. And these are absolutely true things to say about Jesus and worth celebrating. But we're a little less comfortable with the idea that Jesus calls us to follow him. See, if Jesus says something like, uh, neither do I condemn you, like we read in John 8, we're pretty comfortable with that. But we have a harder time when he says things like, take up your cross and follow me. But that's what this story is all about. Peter was so disgraced by his denial of Jesus, it seems as though he was going back to his old life as a fisherman. And Jesus forgives and restores him, not so that Peter can live his best life as a fisherman, but so he can once again follow Jesus, so that he can be the rock on which Christ builds his church, so he can be a fisher of men, so he can follow the great shepherd in feeding his lambs. What we need to know from this story is that Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration, not just to Peter, but to you and to me, not only so we can feel better about ourselves, but so that we will be freed to follow him, so that we will be free to live the life he lived and the life he calls us to. And the life of Jesus includes the death of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, you and I are extremely unlikely to be crucified as Jesus was and as tradition says Peter was. But we are nonetheless called to embrace a life according to the pattern of Jesus, of offering ourselves for the sake of others, of emptying ourselves. That might even include going willingly into suffering or even death. Uh, Paul says that we carry the death of Jesus inside our bodies so that we can also experience the life of Jesus in our bodies. You don't get one without the other. My point here is not at all to be morbid or grim or to make you worried that something bad will happen to you. The point is that forgiveness and restoration that Jesus offers is the first step in a life of following Jesus. And following Jesus definitely includes joy and freedom. Sometimes it means difficulty and suffering. That was the story for Peter. But again, this isn't the end of the story. There's one more thing I want you to, to see here. So in verse 20, after Jesus has said this very hard thing to Peter and ended with, follow me, Peter turns and sees John. Uh, John calls himself the disciple Jesus loved in his book. And he sees John and he says, Lord, who is, uh, he says, uh, Lord, what about him? Talking about John. And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Tradition tells us that John was the only one of Jesus' disciples who was not killed for his faith. And 
You notice that Jesus wants Peter to follow him, even though Peter's fate might be totally different from John's, and, and it was. Now, John was also called to follow Jesus, and he did, but it looked different for John to do that than it did for Peter. And Jesus isn't bothered by this at all. He says, what is that to you? Follow me anyway. What I think we can learn from this is that following Jesus might look a little bit different for each one of us. Perhaps one of us is called to follow Jesus into suffering and death, while another is called to follow Jesus in a totally different way. And Jesus says, don't look at what your friend is doing. Look at me. Don't follow the crowd. Follow me. It's easy to compare ourselves to others, especially if, if we start to think maybe they have things better than us. And it's easy to look at someone else and say, well, maybe they're not following Jesus as well as I am. Maybe that's how to explain this. Or to feel envious and to say, uh, I want to follow Jesus, but couldn't I follow Jesus wherever that guy is going? But Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow me. I want to end with this. If you're, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to know that Jesus calls you to follow him. You don't have to wonder if maybe Jesus is calling you, if he could call you. Jesus calls you to follow him. It's who he is and it's what he does. He calls you to live the life he lived and to experience the joy and the freedom of that life. And Maybe you think, well, you can't do that or that Jesus can't use you anymore. If that's you, you need to know that Jesus calls you still. And he offers forgiveness if that's what you need to be able to follow him. He offers a new community if that's what you need, or even a new name if that's what you need. But he calls you to follow him. Following Jesus isn't going to look the same for you as it did for Peter or for John or for anyone else you can think of. It might mean that someone binds your hands and takes you where you don't want to go. That's what it meant for Peter, but it might mean something totally different. The one thing that we can be sure of is that following Jesus is the way to life. Peter wasn't made to be a fisherman. He was made to follow Jesus. and You were made to follow Jesus too. You were meant to discover who you are as you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You were made for love, for joy, for communion with God, and so much more. And you are meant to find these things as you walk with Jesus. So when Jesus says, follow me, it's an invitation. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an invitation that begins with die to yourself, but it's also an invitation to discover real, vibrant life in him. I'll leave you with another one of my favorite quotes from Peter in... Uh, in John chapter 6, there were all these people who were leaving Jesus because they found his teachings were too difficult uh, and too disturbing. And so crowds of people are leaving Jesus. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave me too? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I hope that you are coming to believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God today. I'm going to invite uh, Russell and Sarah to come back up. We're going to sing another song together. And uh, I want to pray for you before, before we sing that song. 
Lord, we thank you for your mercy toward us. We thank you, Lord, that even though we are unworthy to follow you, you forgive us time and again. You restore us. You prepare a place for us, and you call us again to follow you. So, Lord, help us today to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, to learn what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to live the life that Jesus offers. Lord, help us to walk in step with your Spirit. Give us courage to follow Jesus, even if that looks different from what we see around us, even if that looks different from the people that we know, even if that looks different from what we thought our lives were about. Give us courage to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reaching out to us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen, friends. It's been, it's been real good to be together today and just to spend these uh, moments in worship and uh, thank Jesse for bringing us to God's word. And, and we just pray that you, uh, you will follow him and you'll just respond to that call today to follow, to follow Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, it's been good to be together, and we just uh, want to let you know that we'll be gathering again on Wednesday night. You're welcome to join us for a time of prayer and worship, our normal uh, Monday night uh, online Bible study is not happening this week. It'll resume next Monday night. And so, uh, yeah, there's a, a time of worship and prayer on Wednesday night. And, of course, we're meeting again uh, next Sunday, Lord willing. And so uh, God bless you. Praying for you. Have a great week. And we will see you again. God bless.